This is episode 12 with Dr. Jonathan Aviv. And oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited for this episode. I feel like, I mean, for how long I've been practicing or I mean, for as long as I've been doing fees, it seems like you've always read about Dr. Aviv's work and I am just, I am so beyond honored and flattered that he's decided to come on the podcast today. I must first start off by thanking Dr. Eric Blicker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're one of my most favorite people in this world. You know that. Um, thank you for contacting Dr. Aviv and asking him to come on the show. I know he's going to provide so much value and so much awesome information to everyone today. And he's, he's a great speaker too. So hopefully everybody really enjoys this episode and I hope you'll share it on social media. I've got some cool giveaways going on. We're going to give away a couple copies of his book. So if you can share it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, if you follow me, if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, my name is Teresa Richard, SLP, um, and on Twitter, it's uh, my company name, Mobile, M-O-B-L, Dysphagia, D-X. So feel free to follow me on any of those, share this episode, so we'll give away some copies of Dr. Aviv's Acid Watcher Diet book. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. it's almost November. I cannot believe Swallow Your Pride has officially been out for two whole months now. That's just the craziest thing ever. So currently for the month of October, we had over 52,000 downloads. That's bananas, you guys. But thank you so much for listening to the show. Please don't forget to leave an iTunes review also. Our iTunes review of the week this week is Denise R. Oh, Denise, I think I know who you are. Okay, her review says, you know when you go back to work after a really great continuing ed course feeling so rejuvenated, you can't wait to use the new stuff you learned or you just had a refresher of things you already knew but sometimes forgot about, Swallow Your Pride is just like that. But every week I go into work on a typically sluggish Thursday feeling refreshed and excited to start my day after listening to Teresa and whoever is the latest and greatest. The content is informative, relatable, and entertaining. Oh, thank you, Denise. Just a disclaimer, too. I know <laughs> the podcast is supposed to come out on Tuesdays, so I'm sorry if some weeks it doesn't get up till Thursday. I'm totally human. I apologize. But I don't even want to waste time getting into all these promos and things today, you guys. So I'm just going to get right into it. Got some cool courses coming up. Uh, don't forget, this is the last week to sign up for AmpCare eSTEM course. It's 0.8 advanced CEUs. Go to swallowtherapy.com forward slash SYP to receive a $50 discount on either a live or online course. And yes, AmpCare is that course that has the super great anatomy and physiology and cranial nerve review with the super thick manual. And they really go into all the different populations that eSTEM can and cannot help. So go check them out. Also, Carolina Speech Pathology has their two courses coming up, Understanding Fees in Fort Lauderdale, November 3rd, Richmond, Virginia, November 17th, and then our awesome fan favorite, Ed Bice, is doing his evidence-based practice in dysphagia rehab in Raleigh on December 1st. 
So go to carolinafees.com, enter promo code SYP for 25% off. And then also for the month of November, we are bringing back that MedBridge deal. So for 95 bucks with promo code SYP, you get upgraded to that premium package. So since that was such a huge success last month, we decided to bring it back again. So hopefully if you didn't get to take advantage of it before, you get to take advantage of it now. So go to medbridgeeducation.com, click on speech language pathology, go to the SLP education plan and enter promo code SYP. And also for any of my friends across the pond in the UK or Australia, you can all take advantage of that deal too. I know I've gotten a bunch of questions about that. Without further ado, today's Swallow Your Pride guest is Dr. Jonathan Aviv, and we're going to just get right into it. Hello, Dr. Aviv. Hi, Teresa. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh my gosh, I'm beyond flattered, honored, all the above to have you even on here. So thank you much. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, for anyone that doesn't know Dr. Aviv, which if you're a speech pathologist doing endoscopy, which a lot of the listeners should absolutely know who he is, but I'll let you fill everybody in on, on what you do. But I've been on Dr. Oz, he's been on Morning America, he's run the circuit really of talking about this really great procedure and research, reflux stuff. So yeah, go ahead. Tell us a little bit more about you. Thank you, Teresa. <laughs> it's very kind to have me on your show, uh, Swallow My Pride, which is a great title very catchy (laughs) and uh, I still maintain that most people have no idea what a speech language pathologist does so shows like this hopefully will enlighten not only your listeners but the casual listener the prospective patients as well I'm currently the clinical director of the voice and swallowing center at ENT and allergy associates in New York It's a private practice with an affiliation with uh, several institutions. I'm currently a clinical professor in the Department of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. That's my academic appointment. All right. I should chime in. Thank Dr. Eric Blicker for even putting us in contact together. Also, I mean, incredible what he's done for our profession too. And he's such a good teacher and he's really good about getting all the information out there as well. Yes. I just want to say a couple of words about Eric Blicker. For uh, Prior to me joining ENT and Allergy Associates and starting their Voice and Swallowing Center in 2009, For 18 years before that, I was at uh, full-time faculty in the Department of Otolaryngology at Columbia University, and for a good portion of that time, I uh, ran a very large endoscopy for swallowing training program specifically for speech-language pathologists, and I'm happy to say that over a 15-year period, many speech-language pathologists that I've trained have gone on to terrific careers in uh, speech-language pathology, specifically in dysphagia and endoscopy for swallowing. And Eric Blicker is one example of the uh, stellar people I've been uh, honored to uh, work with over the years. Oh, well, I'm sure that's an honor for him to hear that from you. So yeah, we just love him. He's such a nice guy. So 
All right. Well, let's let's get into it. So yes, let's get into it. <laughs> you know, I, I know one paper of yours that I've respected over the years. I've read it a million times, and and it's not really a long paper, but it's quick and to the point. Kind of just why I love doing these podcasts. We get right to the point. But back on episode nine, Vince Clark, when I asked him what one of a game changing paper that he's read in his practice, he suggested this, and it and it's actually a small editorial that was in the Dysphagia Journal in two thousand and two. And so when endoscopy is an option, what would you choose? And in discussing kind of the pros and cons of the bedside swallow exam, what we can tell, what we can't tell, what we're limited to. Yeah, well, first of all, it's very very kind of you, very kind of Vincent Clark. The Steve Leader, who is one of the leaders in, in your field, the late Steve Leader, uh, an incredible inspiration to me a huge proponent of getting speech-language pathologists involved with dysphagia on every level, clinical bedside exams, as well as instrumentation evals, consistently published studies in the dysphagia journal. And one study in particular was uh, looking at aspiration risk after acute stroke and looking at clinical exam and instrumental exam, specifically the AFIS exam fiber optic endoscopic evaluation of swallowing. And the one thing that struck me as I was reading his paper is that you want to know what's important when you're reading these studies about what's, what do you use, what, what's in your toolbox, as it were. And the idea of just going to the bedside, watching someone eat, putting a stethoscope over the, the trachea sounds <laughs> great, but practically it's fraught with danger. Uh, and I love when people say, well, I can hear gurgling. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, that's great. Um, what else can you do? Now, if it's all you got, it's all you got. We've got more. you got a lot more. And scientifically, it, it boils down to something called the false negative rate. Uh, so that's the science. What's the false negative rate? The false negative rate is the chance that a measure of risk determines the failure of a test to identify a group at risk. And that's something that's very worrisome because when the false negative rate is high, you're told the study is okay, yet the patient's at risk and you get blindsided by bad results. So you want the false negative rate to be as low as possible. And what we have found over the years is that when you do endoscopy for swallowing, the false negative rate for detecting, say, a penetration or even an aspiration is very, very low. With the bedside evals, it can approach as high as 20%. And that's, you're talking, you know, one out of five, you're told, hey, it's okay, go ahead. And actually, that's wrong. So if you have the tools and you can minimize that risk, do it. Look, whether you're doing an x-ray-based test, a modified barium swallow, even an esophagram, but let's talk about the test speech-language pathologists are involved with, that would be a modified barium swallow, or any type of endoscopy for swallowing, you're getting more information so you can guide the patients and their families, right, and the fellow therapists you're working with, and the physicians, the whole team, really, more precisely. That's the idea. Yep, absolutely. All right. So then another paper that I would like to discuss a little further, too, is also the safety of fees. Because I know even, I mean, I think this paper you wrote was back in 2005. We're in 2017, and people are still arguing that fees is not safe. It's dangerous. And and I just don't think that could be any further from the truth compared to the information that we can deem from it. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there are two issues here. One, 
in general, in medicine, we, we tend to be afraid or in, in healthcare, right? We, we tend to be afraid of what we don't understand. As I started in the beginning of, of the podcast, most people have no idea what a speech language pathologist does. They'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, my friend was stuttering when they were 18 months old. Okay. But, and, and then if there are 110,000 speech language pathologists in this country, say easily half do an early intervention type of program. But people don't realize that it's the same speech language pathologist that's getting patients after stroke to eat again, getting patients with ALS to swallow, getting patients with Parkinson's to swallow. And that's all about speech language pathology. No one knows that. And, you know, a patient comes in, they had a stroke, and there's a, that moment where the family's saying, oh, my God, they want to put in a feeding tube. What do we do? And I do an endoscopic swallowing eval. And I say, listen, we could send you to a speech therapist and they can help you. It's like, but I'm speaking fine. I'm not stuttering. I'm, I'm, isn't that just for kids? And that's not it. But that, you're laughing because you've heard oh, yeah. this yourself. Yeah, a million times over, and, yeah. Right, right. It's like part of it. You just, you know, you just, you wait the beat to hear that reaction. What do you mean? I'm too old. I, you know, I, I graduated kindergarten. So, okay, so let's train highly skilled individuals who probably know more about swallowing than almost any healthcare professional. Let's work together with other healthcare professionals, the ear, nose, and throat doctors, the lung doctors, the primary care doctors, the neurologists. I would put a flexible laryngoscope in all these clinicians so they learn what they're looking at. And this this sort of is the stepping stone for, for the rest of the podcast and to identify what you're looking at and have identified clues as to how we can help people, say, using nothing fancier than physical therapy in your situation as speech language pathologist, but how about dietary modifications and just overall lifestyle changes, which again, you've been leaders in from, from the dawn of, of your profession. So the safety of fees, what are we worried about? They say it's an invasive procedure. Well, I, okay, anytime you're putting an instrument into someone or somewhere that's invasive, but you know, you're not doing a craniotomy, you're not doing open heart surgery, you're not doing a brain transplant. And we decided to put this to rest many years ago. And we did a prospective study. This wasn't a retrospective uh, chart review. So we had to get IRB approval. I mean, the whole thing. And we looked at 500 consecutive studies performed exclusively by speech language pathologists. And what we found is that it's an exceedingly safe test. Uh, we didn't have any incidents of vasovagal reactions. No one fainted on us. We even had patients tell us how comfortable or uncomfortable the procedure was. Almost 80% said they would do it again if they had to. And you have to look at the patient population, right? This is not a robust Marine walking in there or, uh, you know, or a professional <laughs> right, right. athlete. These are often extremely debilitated people, very upset that their body's rebelling on them, essentially, that they can't eat. So the possibility that, that you as a speech language pathologist working with the physician in some capacity can bring the patient to the point where they can eat again, they'll tolerate a three millimeter camera in their nose while they're being fed some porridge. You know, it's not a big deal. We're saying that, but this data is very clear. I mean, subsequently, we probably did another 3,000 exams with very similar outcomes, meaning the heart rate doesn't drop, 
We're not getting vasovagal responses. We had three episodes of self-limiting epistaxis on a population, I would say a quarter of which was on blood thinners such as Coumadin. So if you're trained properly and it's done right with the correct supervision, it's exceedingly safe. And anyone that's saying otherwise, number one, let me see your data. And number two, who's (laughs) training them? So, you know, these are the issues. And, you know, how many times do we have to put this to rest? It'll probably never end. But you can always point (laughs) to data that's, you know, it's really withstood the test of time. And, I mean, the ultimate proof in the pudding is, as I, again, I started at the top of the show, people like you, people like Eric Blicker, people like Carolyn Gartner and Mark Berlin. I mean, on and on. There are just so many individuals now, basically a generation of individuals trained who are actively doing this as part of their practice. Well, are we right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you you heard it from the horse's mouth himself. I mean, I had to whip this paper out. I had a, a nurse practitioner about three weeks ago just jump down my throat. I cannot believe you did this on my patient. He's on Coumadin. I cannot believe you would stick that scope in his nose. And I said, well, first of all, you signed the order. So I don't know why you're yelling at me. Second of all, and I, I brought him brought her this paper and I said, we have so much evidence. This is what I do. I've done this full time for five years. This is what I do all day, every day. It's extremely safe. I said, I saw that he was on Coumadin. Of course, we talked to the nurse. Not a big deal. No one was alarmed. You know, well, so and it's, also, it's just as you said, someone ordered this test <laughs> right? and a discussion was made with the patient's neurologist, cardiologist, primary care doctor, you know, what are the options? We can put a camera in, get a real-time view, look at the anatomy, film it, play it back, or we could send the patient for an x-ray. You know, it's it's very straightforward. And again, it's, it's the same thing we talked about. There's a, you know, 20, 20 years later, there's still yeah, yeah, a lack yeah. of, of education about this. And really, unfortunately, it's not taught in medical school. I think dysphagia is given short, short time in graduate school for speech language pathologists. I think dysphagia, chronic cough, reflux disease should be, you know, in the top five or six things that are taught. I mean, we can go on from here to dysphagia is common. Look at cough, right? Right. I mean, cough is the most common reason Americans see a physician. It's something like 15 million visits a year. It's, a, it's an extraordinary number. And a large portion of that cough is often due to insufficiently treated or untreated reflux disease. And by the time a speech language pathologist is called in or even considered to have an input, uh, many things happen that could have been avoided. So summarizing, if you could do an instrument of some sort, x-ray or endoscopy, you get more information to doing an endoscopic evaluation of swallowing with or without sensory testing is extremely safe. I mean, the real risk is having patients with these problems and not doing these exams and watching these people slowly starve or drown. You know, how's that for safety? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So so can you tell us what happened with the sensory testing? I know you were kind of a a pioneer with that many years ago. Very involved with sensory testing. It needs to be updated and industry has been slow to update it. There are some sensory boxes floating around the ether somewhere. (laughs) I have a few, of course. Our practice has several. But we use them. And 
it still works, still gives us a very good idea of the patient's ability to protect their airway, but industry needs to step up. I'm working on that and we'll certainly keep you posted, Teresa. Okay. Can you tell, and what you did was the air puff, is that correct? Yeah. So uh, I developed a way to use a pressure and duration controlled pulse of air to the tissues innervated by the internal branch of the superior laryngeal nerve. So we can see if someone's at risk for, well, via abnormal sensitivity or abnormal laryngeal adductor reflex at risk for penetration and aspiration. Awesome. What about, have you seen that paper that came out of Dr. Susan Langmore's lab, I think a couple months ago about um, they're touching like a pressure touch on the arytenoid and using that as sensory testing? Yes. Listen, any way that you could assess sensitivity, the afferent limb of swallowing, I, I applaud. Uh, in the early days, they used to inhale tartaric acid, right, before yeah. <laughs> modified barium swallow. And if the patients were retching, we would say, uh-huh, they <laughs> can protect. Give them some awesome. barium. <laughs> Quick. Yeah, yeah. Talk uh, about cruel. Yeah, well, you know, it, it was <laughs> it was good for the time. And, and actually, it was a response to, to the original sensory testing studies because there's no question that being able to assess the afferent limb of a reflex that has both efferent and afferent components makes sense. Uh, yep. So again, anyone that's touching, tapping, however you want to do it, I say, yay. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> right. Bravo. All right. Awesome. So so let's kind of get into a little more about, about reflux and what the speech language pathologist should be assessing. I know we've got some rating scales out there. We've got some other visualization scales that we can use. What's your take on that? I, I Again, when patients come in with a swallowing problem, you're all over the neuro piece. Uh, so let's say we it's not a stroke. It's not a neurological problem. Patient comes in and says they have a lump-like sensation in their throat. Or as you're assessing someone, say, post-op after open-heart surgery or people in, in the uh, surgical ICUs, or even the medical ICUs, and the primary doctor wants to know when and what to feed someone, right? So you, you may start off with an endoscopic evaluation of swallowing. You're getting a history from the patient. You're asking about certain foods and you're looking in, you see a hot swollen larynx. And as part of the treatment, you wanna be able to number one, and this you're amazing at, ask a diet history. Now I'll ask you right now, when's the last time your physician asked you about what you eat and drink? Uh, depends what my weight or depends what my weight is. <laughs> All right. I mean, <laughs> so ne I mean, not not normally ever. Right. I mean, not normally ever. I use it. That's a four letter word ever. I mean, yeah. I ask about 12 things in particular. I ask about coffee, chocolate, alcohol, mint. I'm in trouble already. Yes. As I say, your 12 favorite food groups. <laughs> that's, that, that's my four, my four favorite food groups right there. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Let's see how many <laughs> okay. get tonight. Okay. Um, raw onion, raw garlic. And then I ask about sugary soda, including diet, bottled iced tea, including diet. And then what I call the four under four, four foods that are healthy under pH four, citrus, tomato, vinegar, wine. Now, there's a reason I ask about these 12 foods. I call them the dirty dozen. So there's a stomach side and there's a what you eat side. We traditionally think of acid reflux as 
plop, plop, fizz, fizz. These are the old Alka-Seltzer commercials from the days of yore where you had a heavy guy sitting on the edge of the bed, grabbing his belly, looks like he's carrying triplets. And uh, he says, <laughs> I can't believe I ate the whole thing, right? And it goes on and on from there. Well, and it's very funny. You're laughing. Everyone laughs. But, you know, what's, <laughs> what's, the, what's the downside? What's, what's the other yeah. side? What's the dark underbelly, if you will? Well, esophageal cancer has been the fastest growing cancer in America and Europe since the mid-70s. And we can look back the reasons why. And I describe this uh, in my book called The Acid Watcher Diet. And this is where speech-language pathology comes in. You're so used to getting a good history, whether it's a history of what happened in the hospital, a history of family history, and now a diet history. So I'll break it down into two six-packs, if you will. One is the stomach side. So foods that loosen the lower esophageal sphincter are a problem because then stomach contents, which are acidic, can travel the wrong way up into the esophagus. So what are the classic looseners? That's coffee, chocolate, alcohol, mint, raw onion, raw garlic. Now, coffee and chocolate do something else. They don't only loosen, they increase hydrochloric acid production by the stomach. So think of it as a one-two punch, right? You get a loosening and then the acidic stuff comes up because you've taken away the muscular protection. So patients are having heartburn, a regurgitation, you point to, to that area. Everyone knows about that, we all talk about it, but what I talk about in the acid watcher diet is something that is really not paid attention to at all, which is the acidity of what you put in your mouth. That's the dirty half dozen, and that's soda, bottled iced tea, citrus, tomato, vinegar, wine. What do they share? They're all less than pH 4. pH 4 is the magic number because 4, less than 4, maximally activates an enzyme, a protein enzyme in the stomach called pepsin. Now, pepsin, you've heard of, sits in the stomach. I'm pointing to my stomach. Yes. <laughs> About 10 years ago, it was shown that pepsin can float. It goes out of the stomach. It can sit on the vocal cords. It can sit in the lungs. It can sit in the sinuses, in the teeth, in the middle ear spaces. And when you eat or drink something less than pH 4, what you eat can start eating you. You actually activate tissue-bound pepsin, and it causes the big inflammatory response. That's part one. So that's about 9, 10 years old. About a year ago, a researcher in the Midwest named Dunbar showed that the injury from acid reflux forever thought to be a focal injury that then spreads to the deep tissues. That's not what happens. You get a cytokine-mediated body-wide inflammatory response. So when you eat or drink something acidic, say that Coca-Cola, or just say Coke, you will actually initiate a body-wide inflammatory response. So how did we even pay attention to this. We began to notice when we had patients stay away from foods less than pH 4, so we shouldn't be having sugary or diet soda or bottled iced tea anyway because the health benefits are none. None. Uh, <laughs> and the health, the health detriments are profound. Okay, yeah. we got that. So we're really dealing with the four under four. Well, when you stay away from those foods, and I, this is anecdotal, I did not study this in a controlled manner, but clinical observation is what? Patients with psoriasis, their psoriasis gets better. If they have Crohn's, their need for pentasa goes down. Their need for other medications goes down. 
their fibromyalgia gets better, their irritable bowel gets better because inflammation's the key and you're taking away inflammation by staying away from these very acidic foods. And it gets very interesting because what do you read online? Start every day with lemon water, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm guilty of it's it. The key, it's the key to longevity. Yeah. Well, what does lemon do? Lemon's very acidic. Same thing with lime, orange, grapefruit, uh, even pineapple. It's not pure citrus, but it's in that family. And it's so acidic, it releases this tissue-bound pepsin. So you get local inflammation. That'll swell the larynx. It'll make the vocal cords look like kielbasa. And you're going to have dysphagia. You're going to have trouble swallowing. They won't say, no one says they have dysphagia, right? They say, I have a lump in my throat. I'm clearing my throat. People say, I have too much saliva. I have post-nasal drip. You don't have post-nasal drip. We all have post-nasal drip. Who cares? Well, you produce one to two liters a day of mucus from your nose and sinus. When your post-cricoid area and posterior larynx and hypopharynx is swollen, that mucus is going to sit there. And what are you going to do? You're going to chach it away. <clears throat> I don't know how to spell chach, but we know what it sounds okay. like. We know what it looks <laughs> yeah. like. When you're doing endoscopy for swallowing, you can see it. And you tell patients, they say, well, what do I start my day with? Well, how about watermelon and cucumber? Why that? Watermelon contains some of the greatest concentrations of lycopenes, which is a powerful, natural anti-inflammatory agent. Cucumber contains lignans also a powerful, natural anti-inflammatory agent. I call the two of them together food steroids. It reduces inflammation. A lot of the professional voice people I used, I take care of, and performers, I have them use this as a substitute, really, for steroids in not an acute situation, but while they're touring, while they're in the recording studio, and for the patients that you see in general, it's a very safe alternative. Now, I want to say one thing. No one should start any of these diets, acid watch or otherwise, unless you consult your physician. We get helpful people from all over the world writing in, either on Facebook. There's, a, believe it or not, an acid watcher diet Facebook support group now. There are over 1,000 members. People are submitting and sending in recipes. I'm on Instagram, either as at Dr. Aviv or at Acid Watcher Life. And Acid Watcher Life is essentially posting two to three recipes a day. So there's a lot going on in the area, but run it by your doctor first. A lot of people have very strong feelings on this. How does the speech therapist come in? Speech language pathologist come in? What are you eating, sir? Do you eat anything acidic? People say, I don't eat anything acidic. <laughs> Nothing. So then you say, what'd you have for breakfast? I had Frosted Flakes, Cheerios, you know, and some M&Ms. Okay. What about lunch? I had 12 pieces of Wonder Bread and six Kraft singlets. What? <laughs> and th these are true stories. You know, people say, no, I don't, I don't, never have bottle. Are you kidding? I never have bottle ice. Soda? No way. No way. And we go on and on. And it looks, you look at their larynx, it looks like a bomb went off. And you're like, God, it looks like you're drinking a six pack of Diet Dr. Pepper every night at midnight while washing down the donut holes. So, no, 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 no. Oh, by the way, uh, Hawaiian punch? Ding, what? ding, ding. <laughs> Pour the acid down the throat. So people don't realize it. People don't realize that flavored club soda is acidic. Plain club soda, okay, the bubbles come up fine. But as soon as you flavor it, it's acidic, it's inflammatory. And this is where speech language pathology, I feel, 
can make such huge inroads because you are taking the time with the patients in an unparalleled fashion. You can ask these questions. You can make diet recommendations. You can call the referring physician and say, hey, you know, the individual you sent over here has some swelling here. I think they'll do okay. We'll do some maneuvers, but can I modify their diet a little bit? What do you mean? Well, you know, they're drinking, you know, two to three sodas a week. And so sometimes you'll get, what's wrong with two or three sodas a week? And my answer is I only pour battery acid down my throat two to three times a week. So when you, no one thinks of it that way. You can right. look at the ingredients, ascorbic acid, citric acid. It says it, it says it <laughs> right there. It says yeah. it. So, but these are the, t it's, it's funny, but it's not funny, but it also is an avenue. This is such an opportunity for speech language pathologists at every level. Uh, whether you're doing x-ray-based tests, instrument-based tests, you can ask these questions right now, and you can make an impact right away, even if you get people off soda. And no one's going to say, oh, well, they really should be drinking soda. No one's going <laughs> to yeah. say that. Well, pour that bottled iced tea right down their throat. No, no, no. So that's one thing. And then one of the things we do is neutralize. A lot of the, say, acid reflux diets – say, avoid anything acidic, uh, meaning less than pH 4, or say, for a period of time, keep everything above pH 5. But as it turns out, very healthy things like berries, raspberries, strawberries, blackberries, they're all less than pH 4, but you can neutralize them by throwing them in a blender and adding what I call CARS. CARS is an acronym, C-A-R-S coconut, almond, rice, or soy milk. They're all very alkaline. When you blend it, it neutralizes the acidity of the berries. So you keep the anti-inflammatory properties, but you take away the acidic portion of it. So you have antioxidant, yes. You take away the acidity, so you take away the inflammation generated that way via pepsin, and you have a very healthy, high-fiber, tasty beverage. So that type of thing, which we talk about on at Dr. Aviv, we talk about it on the Acid Watcher diet. These very, very basic things is something that's part and parcel of what speech-language pathology can offer patients. As you're discussing diet, it's a way to liaise with the patient. It's a way to get the speech-language pathologist in close on the treatment plan with the physicians. It's a good, healthy move for everybody. All right. So I know for us, we have the the reflux finding score we can use, or we have the rating scale that we can give to our patients. Do you, do you think those are good tools to use? Absolutely. I think, you know, we ask every time a patient comes in the office, no matter what the complaint, even if oh, I'm feeling dizzy today, or I want a facelift. I mean, they're in the wrong office, <laughs> both of these. But anyway, uh, we still have them fill out the reflux symptom index. And then clearly when it's a throat related complaint, and we take a look, we'll fill out the reflux finding score, which looks at the essentially grading the swelling that you're seeing on endoscopy, something that speech-language pathologists who are trained to do endoscopy for swallowing are just absolute experts at. And if you're used to seeing, you know, green flecks of uh, applesauce in the vollecula, you certainly can assess what the vocal cords look like. You can assess what the back of the larynx looks like. And plain and simple, even if you're unsure, you could take a picture and run it by the clinician you're working with. So there are many ways to assess 
that level of swelling, if you will. Something standardized like the reflux finding score is a great way. Uh, so reflux finding score, terrific. Diet history, terrific. As you're making recommendations, you can feel very safe to say, listen, lay off the soda. Really, most beverages in a can or a bottle by law have to be less than pH 4.4. And most of the food packers just drop everything below four because uh, several reasons, not the least of which they want the, you know, to prevent food poisoning, but at the same time, they want to be able to have that product stay on a shelf for a very long time. And if it's pickled, you can do that. Well, let me, I didn't have this planned in to ask you, but now I kind of want to go there about it. Sometimes, you know, we're speech language pathologists. I guess we don't have the respect that maybe we do or we don't deserve sometimes. So when we say these things to doctors or to physicians, sometimes they're just shrugged off. So, you know, I guess you seem to have a great relationship and with respecting speech pathologists, what would you say to us to try to foster a better relationship? Yeah, it's such a challenge. Don't feel picked on. I mean, (laughs) I've heard the following from some of my colleagues, uh, not in ENT. Uh, They'll say stuff like, take a pill, eat what you want. Uh, I don't believe in pepsin. And my answer is, and I think the world is flat. (laughs) So, you know, you will get it. You will get it. There's almost nothing you can do other than say, uh, we're aware of some work. Can we get you to acidwatcher.com? Can we get you to the Acid Watcher diet? Can we get you to some of these you know, popular sites for your patients if you don't want to spend the time with the patient? I mean, as speech-language pathologists start working in practices and they consistently get referrals, I find that clinicians become very open to suggestions about more information. Even developing a sheet where you put down your, say, four or five favorite Uh, social media resources for information, even websites for information. Uh, On your website, you know, I'm happy to provide links to what you do and vice versa. I I think that's how it starts. I mean, I I get calls all the time. I reach out to dentists. I reach out to lung doctors, gastroenterologists, speech language pathologists, physical therapists, you name it, dietitians in particular, and just let them know. People walk in saying, look, and they're waving uh, an online address. They say that apple cider vinegar is the way to go. Well, pouring acid down your throat is going to do the following. And then we could show the picture. So I'm trying to figure out how did we get to this inflection point where there's so much misinformation about the airway and, and what can happen. And it's probably something like this, right? So there are 340 million Americans. How many, how many people can look at the larynx? right? Maybe 8,000 ENTs, maybe 20,000, 25,000 speech language pathologists doing dysphagia. My guess is the number that actually do endoscopy for swallowing is probably around 1%. Uh, so you're talking about 2,500. So you're talking about maybe 10,000 clinicians out of 340 million could actually look at the larynx, know what they're looking at. Oh, are any of these people say, yeah, go ahead, pour some acid down your throat. That'll make you feel good. Let's start the day that way. There's no way you would do that because you know what you're looking at. And to get, I think the way we started is we took a picture. So since those of you doing endoscopy swan could take pictures, if you include a picture to the referring doctor or to the people that they're working with, right? So you have this sort of the chain of command, if you will. When people start to see pictures, they get all excited. And they'll say, well, you know, what is that V-shaped thing? 
And, you know, what are those two balls in the back there? So you say, well, those are the V's, the vocal cords, those balls we call the arytenoids. You know, they're swelling. It should look like a lollipop on a stick. Instead, it looks like a big blob. And I mean, that it sounds very elemental and basic. But when you start there, you immediately make everyone feel comfortable that we're not speaking technical language. That's how you describe to a patient. You see that big swollen ball there. You see that green stuff entering the dark area, right? So you know how to do it already. So almost in the same plain language is how I would approach the clinician and the doubters. But you're still always going to get doubters. I mean, I get it every day. I get it every day. Uh, and that's why I create these sheets, which, you know, bust the myths. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's a, look, you know this. It's an endless education process. And what ends up happening is that over time, you get stalwarts in the community who believe in what you're doing, and it branches out from there. And unless it's someone with a monster following, it's, it's really a question of, as they say, blocking and tackling for, for a long time. It's what you do. You're used to it. Yeah. And frankly, shows like Swallow My Pride are instrumental, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> and getting the word out because you get people drawn in. You, you give these pearls of wisdom. You, you make it an entertaining way to learn the things that you're doing, the things that Eric Blicker is doing, things that Mandy Cohen are doing. I mean, this is how you get all this information out there and try it, try it. I mean, we're, just like we don't emphasize dysphagia and, and say uh, respiratory retraining for paradoxical motion and speech pathology graduate school, I mean, diet is also given a, you know, a very, very short uh, attention. So it's going to start in your practice and, you know, start small, say, get rid of the soda, get rid of the beverages in a bottle. Well, what can I drink? You know, okay, you start with water. I know that. Well, put some watermelon chunks in your water, put some cucumber slices in your water, just like that. And uh, they'll say, oh, I have diabetes. I can't have watermelon. I said, before you do anything, speak to your doctor, but I can't imagine your doctor is going to say, please, please drink more tab. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. And, I, and I'm, I always do post the show notes also. So at the, at www.swallowyourpridepodcast.com, I'll post the show notes and I'll include all of these downloads that you have as well. So they'll be up on my website for people to, to look at. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I know the more we can spread the news, the better. So that's excellent. Like you said, I, the reason I really wanted to start this podcast is to just get this good information out there. There's a lot of great people. I mean, like like you and plenty of others that we've named that are doing great work. And for some reason, though, it's just not getting out there. So right. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got I got a question for you, and I didn't warn you of this. Sometimes I warn people of it, so hopefully you'll have a good answer. So, what is one paper or study or even even person that has had such a big, I guess, game changing impact on your practice? The person, in my opinion, that started a lot of this is uh, Dr. Jamie Kaufman, who did the original work on acid injury in the larynx in the early 90s, uh, subsequently a researcher in the UK who worked with Jamie uh, named Nikki Johnston showed that pepsin floats. And those two discoveries have really set the stage for how we modify things today. And it continues. Certainly the paper by Dunbar last year showing that you get a body-wide inflammatory response is huge. I mean, it, it got attention for a split second and then disappeared into the academic ether. Uh, yeah. the, fact, the fact is that 
we're able to connect the dots and the things we see clinically, right? So chance favors the prepared mind. So we see these things clinically. Now we have the science to back up the power of food. That hashtag food is medicine, food as medicine, food not medicine. There's a, a real scientific bedrock behind it. And I think it's important that as we continue to use food alternatives to medication, if we can, and again, can't say this enough times, you've got to discuss any changes in diet, medication with your physicians. Don't make these decisions on the fly on your own. Run it by your doctor. Work with your speech language pathologist. And I feel this is how we affect change. Awesome. All right. I love hearing where everybody has been inspired from. So thank you. All right. Is there any, anything else you'd like to cover or talk about? Or I think it's very important that the work you're doing get popularized. As soon as you let me know when this is up, I will do everything I can to, to promote it and promote your work. This part of education, which is really grassroots, is, is so critical to improving the health care of everybody. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for doing this for us. Thank you. Thank you, Eric Blicker. I'm, I'm grateful to you, Teresa. All right. So I'll get everything up on the show notes. Uh, you can find more on the website, get Dr. Aviv's Acid Watcher Diet. I know you can get it on Amazon where everybody else goes for books. So Thank you so much, Teresa. Have a wonderful evening. You as well. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.